Okay. Welcome to the Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. I am the producer and host of our Sunday show. My name is Janine Moloff, and we are being heard in many different places uh, around the world even, um, as well as, again, PNN or Progressive News Network is pretty much a fixture in Florida where it originated. Uh, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, so I give a slightly Midwestern different vibe to the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this Sunday, there's been a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to deal with three basic stories today. So our first story deals with a federal judge in Florida, Trump appointee Judge Catherine Kimball Mazel. Now, she's the judge who unilaterally decided that the CDC mask mandate for public transportation was going past its legal mandate and thus illegitimate, illegal, okay? Uh, The fact that she gave absolutely no consideration to other civil liberties, such as the rights of medically disabled people under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Again, Judge Kimball didn't want to be bothered with those little details. And yes, I'm being very sarcastic. Uh, That's our first story. Our second story deals with this, this drama between two Michigan state senators. Now, one's a Republican and the other's a Democrat. Keep in mind, it was the GOP in Michigan that basically was in on the plot by extremists to kidnap the Democratic governor. Think about that for a minute. Okay? Uh, Apparently, the Republican, not apparently, the Republican, these are two different women, the Republican libeled the Democrat on official campaign literature, and the Democrat called her out, as well she should. Um, And this deals with that whole insane QAnon crap. Okay, I'm just going to call it out. Where anybody who dares to speak up for the rights of people in the LGBTQ community Uh, or even acknowledge that, again, these families exist, you're being called out as a groomer. In other words, you're being called out and libeled and slandered as somebody who, quote, grooms, or in other words, gets children, innocent children, ready to be sexually abused by pedophiles. That's what a groomer does and entraps the kids. And, you know, again, what I have to say to the Republicans nationwide that go along with this type of campaign, this illegitimate campaign, is folks, you love talking about your liberties. Newsflash, freedom of speech, that First Amendment does not mean freedom to slander, libel, or otherwise defame. You need to stop burning books and start reading some. Okay, so I'm getting a little loud on that because as a teacher, as a former teacher, that just enrages me. Okay, just does. And our third story deals with a journalist from the Washington Post, uh, Taylor Lorenz, who wrote a story that exposed the this site called the Libs of TikTok. And she exposed it. It's the pure libel that it is. And the headline for her Washington Post story was, quote, meet the woman behind Libs of TikTok secretly fueling the rights outrage machine. Okay. And then, of course, the GOP of Trump had to attack Lorenz for the crime of journalism. 
once again, I'm talking to people not just here in Missouri and around the United States and around the world. I'm talking to people in Florida, the state that loves to authorize book burnings, that loves to censor teachers. Bottom line is this, folks, you need to, again, as I said a minute ago, you need to stop burning those books and actually start reading them. And then, of course, we will end this show with our Jackass of the Week Award. And, and there's, there's so many conservative jackasses to choose from. I mean, this was really a very difficult decision, but I took this responsibility seriously. And, yes, I'm being extremely sarcastic in case, you know, my tone is a little too obtuse for those of you on the far right side of politics, which I don't know if you're listening or not, and I don't care. Okay, so before we get started, I want to make sure that it's crystal clear. This is the kind of show I do not necessarily accept calling. All right, I, I just don't. Uh, I know that there were some people previously associated with this show that left, um, that did. I am not one of those people. My colleagues and I pay for this on-air time, and I don't welcome people that just want to troll and you know, essentially um, freeload off of my dime. It's not going to happen. All right? This is my show. And, you know, if I do accept callers, I will announce it at the beginning of the show. So this is the beginning of the show. We've only been going about seven minutes. I'm not accepting callers. And if you do call, if I choose to click onto it, newsflash, I'm going to read your phone number on air. All right, and I don't care if you think it's doxing or not. You wanted to troll, and, and, and you know, I guess being a journalist, and again, what I'm doing today, I'll admit it's open, it's an editorial. It has my opinion, but it's also backed by facts. That being said, as a journalist, I get very irritated with people that hide behind anonymity. All right? I just do. I don't do it. I have to put my name on every article I write, put my name behind every show that I broadcast. Um, for those of you that are curious, you can check out my writings and Google my name, Janine Moloff. You will see archived old uh, articles that I published on Huffington Post and other publications. My publishing home now is BuzzFlash, and I also publish on Op-Ed News and Nation of Change. But again, I'm not allowed to hide behind anonymity. All right, and I'm not going to tolerate it on my show either. If you have something to say, know that you will be called out. T there. Hopefully, it won't cost too much today, but you know, asthma being what it is, you never know. So let's get started. So first, we have the Florida, the federal judge in Florida. Her name is Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell. From this point on, I'll either refer to her as Judge Catherine or Judge Mizell. And she issued this 59-page ruling on a case that challenged the CDC mask mandates on public transportation. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there, they're either anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, or you have the new wrinkle where they say, it's not that I'm anti-mask or anti-vax, it just should be a choice. Okay. That, that statement's so ignorant, it's beyond the pale. 
uh, if we were talking about, for instance, a communicable disease that was bloodborne, where it required you to exchange bodily fluids, like in sexual acts, for instance, like with the HIV, the virus that causes AIDS, you can make the decision for yourself whether or not you're going to have unprotected sex, whether or not, um, you know, you're going to have sex with somebody who is thus infected. That's your choice. So if they come up with a vaccine against AIDS, your choice. When, however, the viral communicable disease is airborne, you no longer retain that right of choosing. We all breathe air, necessary for life. When you refuse to mask in public, and and a lot of people have refused to vaccinate, you are literally saying that you have the right to potentially infect others with impunity and infect them with a potential death sentence. You may get COVID. You may get, as some people call it, the Rona, and they wear it as their, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) as their red badge of courage, so to speak. And that's fine. And you hear people saying, well, I have an immune system. Well, goody for you. The problem is there are other people that won't survive it. Look at the numbers before I get into this first story. In all of World War II, the big war, in four years that American troops were involved in World War II, we lost slightly under 500,000 soldiers, American soldiers, lives. That's in four years. In a hot war, vicious war. In two years of COVID, we have lost just a bit under one million American lives. How is this not an extreme emergency? Okay? The fact is this, the far right can lie, but numbers don't. Bottom line. So when you refuse to mask up, when you refuse to vaccinate, you are causing a problem for everybody. The fact is this virus mutates, well, that's what viruses do. They look for hosts. If enough, if the majority of people actually vaccinated, which they have not, that viral form would be deprived of enough hosts that it would be difficult for it to mutate. But when you have a sizable number of people that refuse to vaccinate, then, yes, you're inviting more deadly mutations. That's just that's science. And the fact that the CDC or other groups change their mind on things, they're not lying to you. Just because they change their statements doesn't mean they're lying. It means they learned more. And it's not the CDC's fault that people on the far right are a bunch of freaking morons. My opinion. But the judge dutifully agreed and wrote a decision carefully crafted semantically to give the the far-right morons what they want. Okay? Now, Judge Kimball, it should be mentioned, not only is a Trump appointee, but initially she was one of the many Trump appointees that were declared as unqualified by their own licensing board, the American, um, the the ABA, American Bar Association. And it wasn't because she wasn't bright enough or educated, because she hadn't practiced law long enough. All right? 
And that's the same rule for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal. It's the same rule for everybody. You have to have a certain amount of experience, which Judge Kimball did not. It should also be mentioned that while she is a federal judge now, Judge Kimball never once litigated a single case. Let that sink in. I don't know how in the hell somebody can be a judge if they've never litigated first. In other words, actually actually tried a case in court. She was a clerk for Judge for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. So we know where this discussion is going to go. Those are the follow legal judicial theories. You know, she's going to be an originalist, a textualist. She's going to take the Constitution and those laws literally. You know, it's the difference between the, the spirit of law and the letter of the law. And to show you how utterly asinine originalism truly is. And there are some liberals in the court that claim to be originalists too, Judge Kagan for one. The fact is, this. let's let's take a, a logical example here for a minute, okay? Let's say that we have all sorts of laws against stealing. But the law is written in such a way that if you go in a store, they define stealing as taking something from the shelves of the store. So let's say there was something that you wanted and it got knocked to the floor. It is no longer on the shelves. According to an originalist theory, it would not be considered stealing. Now, is that type of literal interpretation the logical fallacy that a two-year-old would use? Yes, it is. Most definitely. And, and again, we're going to be talking about this. I'm going to be writing about it. I'm working on part three of my series for BuzzFlash on judicial capture, which this, this series discusses how our courts have been taken over by extremists from the far right that basically use semantic deceit to unravel any equality we've built into the law. You know, these are people, the originalists, if you really followed their line of thought, then the only people that would have rights in this country, the right to vote and any other rights, would be white men who own property. That's it. No one else would have a right to vote. No one else would have any rights, period. Let's get a little real about this originalism stuff and the the false uh, legitimacy that it has gained through, again, extremist groups like the Federalist Society. Make no mistake about it. I'm on a rant today, and I'm just going there. So let's talk about what Judge Kimball did. This is an article, and, and the reasoning of this article I can't attribute to myself. I'm going to report about it. But, again, I'm honest. It, it's, this, is, um, this was an article that was published on Law and Crime. It's a Dan Abrams production, which is a website Dan Abrams runs. Abrams was a very successful attorney. And the article itself is written by Colin Kalmbacher. And it was published on the 18th. The headline is, quote, and this comes straight from the judge's ruling, quote, wearing a mask cleans nothing, end quote. Federal judge previously deemed not qualified by American Bar Association puts a stop to airline and public transit mask mandate. Now, keep in mind, when you're talking about public transit, maybe not on airlines, but on buses and things like that, our most, our poorest and most vulnerable people have to depend on those buses, for instance, and those subways. And these are often people 
that don't have access to health care. But did Judge Kimball care about that? No. You know, I think she was determined to find an interpretation that would justify striking this mask mandate down. Am I accusing Judge Kimball of being an activist judge? Yes, I am. So let's move on. So she issued a 59-page opinion and order, okay? And you can you can find that at ecf.flmd.uscourt.gov. Uh, she declared the mask mandate for public transportation. This is the one issued by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as, quote, unlawful. That was her word. Uh, and it was unlawful, and I'm going to read straight from this, quote, for exceeding statutory authority as well as for violating the Administrative Procedure Act. Okay, this comes, end quote, comes straight from the article. Now, my own personal opinion is apparently Judge Mazzell had no problem with the fact that her ruling would result in other constitutional violations, specifically the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, because those who are medically fragile that depend on bus transportation will once again be forced back to the litigious or judicial back of the bus. They will have to risk their lives on public transportation, and people can say, well, they can put on a mask. I just don't want to wear one. Well, if you actually look at the science of masking as determined by scientists and actual medical doctors, not attorneys, you will find that if you have an example of two people, One's masked and one isn't. The masking does help protect, but it's not as efficient. In order to be efficient, both parties need to be masked. Okay? That's just, you can look it up yourself. So the CDC issued the mandate, the mask mandate, on February 2nd, 2021. They extended it multiple times uh, from requests from President Biden uh, because COVID kept mutating. Now, the mandate, here's the ironic part. This mask mandate was about to expire the same day Judge Mizell struck it down. But it was extended. So it was set to expire, but it was extended until early May, you know, basically a couple weeks from the day she struck it down. And that was so the administration's public health officials had a little extra time to study the impact and the data on what they call the BA2 variant of the COVID virus. Okay, they just wanted, the, Biden, the CDC wanted a few weeks more to look at the impact of that new variant, study the statistics. Nothing unreasonable here. And the judge what, said no dice. Now, the legal premise cited by Judge Mazzell, um, it was premised on, this, on a, a a portion of what's called the Public Health Services Act of 1944, and this author, Kalmbacher, cited um, WW Law, the Cornell Law School on that one. And the Public Health Services Act of 1944 gives power to the director of the CDC to, quote, promulgate regulations aimed at, quote, identifying, isolating, and destroying communicable diseases, end quote. Seems reasonable to me. Oh, oh, excuse me. A little tea here. So let's backtrack a little here. Judge Mazzell based her decision on a law that dates back to 1944. 
and on the semantics of that law, which is fine, she can do that. But 1944 was the time period when the science of communicable diseases, uh, the, the part of medicine that studies and, and studies trends in communicable diseases is referred to as, as the specialty of epidemiology. Back in 1944, epidemiology wasn't as advanced as it is now. They didn't have the, um, tech, the, te, um, the tools to really study it. But that's what the judge chose to reference. Now, according to that statute, the CDC has the following methods that they can use to either combat and try and, you know, reduce or control communicable disease. And here's the, the phrase, quote, for purposes of carrying out and enforcing such regulations, the Surgeon General may provide for such inspection, fumigation, disinfection, sanitation, pest extermination, destruction of animals or articles found to be so infected or contaminated as to be sources of dangerous infection to human beings and other measures as in his judgment may be necessary, end quote. Now, she based on this knowing full well that some of the language in this statute is very dated, fumigation, sanitation. In 1944, when this was written, the tools needed to really detect communicable disease really weren't very good. And it was limited to sanitation. There was no, you know, not much study of microorganisms, none of that. So this judge found that that law doesn't allow, quote, for enforcement of the mask mandate because after subjecting the term to a textual analysis, masks are not instruments of sanitation, end quote. And this is, um, you know, from... Kalmbacher's writing in this article. Now, for me, to quote the judge, again, who failed to consider all the scientific advances in the knowledge of epidemiology, uh, and as far as I know, she requested no further information, although I could be wrong on that one. Here's what the judge had to say. Here's her rationale. Quote, put simply, sanitation is used in the PHSA, that's that law, could have referred to active measures to cleanse something or to preserve the cleanliness of something, end quote. She goes on to say, quote, while the latter definition would appear to cover the mask mandate, the former definition would preclude it. Okay. So she's taking this sentence, I'll read it again. Put simply, sanitation is used in the PHSA, that law, could have referred to active measures to cleanse something or, and the ors in italics, to preserve the cleanliness of something. And she's claiming that the law specified whether or not you were at it. The law would only be in effect and legitimate if, you were, if it was an active measure to clean something, not to preserve the cleanliness of something. Notice, she's focusing on the term cleanliness as opposed to the term infectious. And that is a grave mistake. It, is, it just shows the limitations of this judge's knowledge of science, which is relevant. You know, something can be dirty, 
and not necessarily infectious. Kalmbacher, the guy who wrote this article, also emphasized that Judge Mazzelli used what he called non-textual tools. So she's doing a textual analysis according to Kalmbacher, but then she's going back and contradicting herself and using non-textual tools, which she identifies as, quote, the statute's context, including the surrounding words, the statute's structure and history, and common usage at the time to move her textual analysis forward. So this is Clarence Thomas's footprint or paw print all over it, okay? When I say paw print, um, and I guess I shouldn't have said that, not because he's a man of color. It's because I find Judge Clarence Thomas to be, like most conservatives, just vile, okay? So I'll take back the paw print. But it has Clarence Thomas's footprint all over it, where basically they're talking about the common usage and understanding of the, of the statute at that time. If you keep relying on that level of textualism for every law, you will either, in order to keep laws in effect, you will either have to make a law that includes a laundry list as long as the state of California to include every possible idea or situation, or you just have to accept the fact that most of these laws will be struck down using, um, again, major questions in the non-delegation doctrine, which is illegitimate. You know, you won't be able to say stealing is against the law if somebody stole in a way that didn't violate what specifically was listed there, like you didn't take it off the shelf example. And this, I guess, my question is, is this case possibly being looked at as a test balloon to, again, build a precedent bridge on that illegitimate non-delegation theory to dis use to dis that would be used to dismantle, you know, federal laws, especially those that protect us in terms of health, in terms of employment uh, practices, anti-discrimination, you name it. And I think maybe it is. But the judge screwed up a little bit. She determined that active cleaning in, in that statement is what the federal law is referring to when it references sanitation. But sanitation doesn't just include active cleaning. That's the present tense. You're actively cleaning, but you still have to maintain it. So she used the literal letter of the law. Again, and I don't mean to, much like somebody on the extreme end of the autism spectrum. Don't mean to insult people on the spectrum, but just that literal. And she's figuratively, she's throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And that's where originalism and textualism proved to be based on a false premise. The judge goes on to say, this is the part that kills me. She says, quote, wearing a mask cleans nothing. Okay. Yeah. But again, and, and she's right on that. Wearing a mask doesn't clean anything. But again, she's focusing on the part of the law that focuses on sanitation and cleaning as opposed to focusing on the reason why you sanitize, which is to prevent infectious diseases from going, going crazy, to, perfect, to prevent infection. She should have been looking at ways to prevent infection, not sanitation, but she knew that. But then it's more, oh, my goodness. She says, quote, at most it traps virus droplets. To which I say, duh, 
That's what a mask does. That's why when you go into surgery, the surgeon and all the nurses wear a mask. It prevents transmission of bacterial or viral droplets into the patient who's cut up on the operating table. But she goes on to say, quote, but it neither sanitizes the person wearing the mask nor sanitizes the conveyance. Because the CDC required mask wearing as a measure to keep something clean, explaining that it limits the spread of COVID-19 through prevention, but never contending that it actually destroys or removes, the mask mandate falls outside of the, P falls outside of the PHSA, the law. Okay? So the judge took the literal letter of the law, knowing full well that you can't ever write a law that's going to basically include all possibilities if you have to if you have to list everything that is included under that law. Laws are statements of principle, not a laundry list of circumstances that may be omitted. And that's precisely what these goddamn originalists and textualists do. They reduce law from being a statement of important principle that can be applied across multiple settings. And they reduce it to a goddamn laundry list of specific situations. And if it doesn't fit that laundry list, oh, you don't have to follow that law. That is originalism and textualism, essentially. Tired of this nonsense. So the judge also noted that, um, you know, the agency also has authority to subject individuals to, quote, detention and quarantine. And <clears throat> she goes on to say, quote, the mandate requires a traveler to do something to have the privilege of passing a checkpoint and continuing on this journey. In other words, a person may travel subject to or dependent on a condition, namely that he wear a mask. As a result, the mask mandate is best understood not as sanitation, but as an exercise of the CDC's power to conditionally release individuals to travel despite concerns they may spread a communicable disease and to detain or partially quarantine those who are refused. But the power to conditionally release and detain is ordinarily limited to individuals entering the United States from a foreign country. See how she's trying to narrow it down? But she screwed up there too because what Kalmbacher pointed out is that the power to isolate, quarantine, and have and have a conditional release, that sec, that part of the law is in a different subsection than the one the judge cited uh, in the mandate order. Okay? And then the judge goes on to say that complaints of the mandate is just far too broad um, since it extends to all people uh, instead of instead of those who quote are re, quote reasonably believed to be infected unquote. Okay, my question is, how does this twit of a judge suggest we determine who we reasonably believe to be infected and not? I have an idea, and a lot of you will hate it. I think they call them vaccine passports. You know, we didn't call it that back in the day. When I was a child, and you entered school, your mother had to prove that you had necessary. Uh, vaccinations, or they wouldn't let you in. That's it. And I remember, uh, I think it was my smallpox vaccination. You know, it, they, I got one every year, and it just 
there to see if it took, in other words, if my system acknowledged it. And it did. What, and that, she had to get a special, you know, form from the doctor every year. Finally, when I think I was 12, it finally took. Um, you know, again, this is just such an incredibly stupid decision. All right. Um, you know, once again, keep in mind, Judge Mazel, you can see Clarence Thomas's influence in this decision. And I can say one thing, I'm not going to be taking public transit, and I'm sure as hell not going to get an airplane. Mm-mm. You know, again, as somebody who is immunocompromised through no fault of my own, my rights have been violated. All of y'all who want to basically infect with impunity. And I'm tired of it. And I look forward to the day that somebody brings a lawsuit challenging this as a violation of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, because it is. Now, in case you're, you're curious, this lawsuit didn't, it didn't come from regular people because the average, it, there were two women that were the plaintiffs, okay, that filed it, but they had money, they had a group that had money behind them. And the group was called the Freedom Defense Fund, Inc. And some call it the Health Freedom Defense Fund. And they are, let's see now, let's see now, let me look here. There's a quote, there's an article I have here from, actually this is a press release from that group, I stand corrected, on April 18th. And the um, Health Freedom Defense Fund's president is someone named Leslie Mnookin. And Mnookin was quoted as saying the following, quote, With any pu- without any public comment or serious scientific justification, CDC bureaucrats impose a sweeping travel mask mandate applying to every American over the age of two. There are laws that set boundaries for federal agencies to protect individual freedom, and the court clearly found that CDC exceeded those limits. Unelected officials cannot do whatever they like to our personal freedom, just because they claim good motives and a desirable goal, end quote. I hate disillusion, Leslie Mnookin. Actually, I don't. I love to disillusion someone like that. First of all, that first sentence, that first statement, without any public comment or serious scientific justification, where the hell has Mnookin been? There is a whole body, volume of scientific and medical research that, yes, say that masking it, when it's a communicable disease does help, does help prevent transmission. And so that's one. Number two, <coughs> excuse me, um, the CDC isn't just a bunch of, of bureaucrats. That's another piece of misinformation. The people, bureaucrats in the CDC are medical doctors and scientists. So apparently the lawsuit was brought by two individual Florida residents by this Freedom Defense Fund. Okay? Excuse me. And 
the Freedom Defense Fund paid for it. The lawyers brought this, this, this suit challenging the CDC mask mandate came from the DeViller Law Group, D-A-V-I-L-L-E-R. Um, the specific attorney is Brant C. Hathaway. Hathaway said, quote, the court agreed with our main arguments and rejected the CDC's justification for the mask order. Um, the judge found the CDC exceeded its statutory authority and the CDC's interpretation of its authority was not entitled to deference. An agency is also supposed to provide notice and comment and reasonably explain itself. CDC's mask order fell short of both requirements. <coughs> but Mr. Hadway knows full well, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the CDC, Mr. Hadaway, as a qualified attorney, knows damn well that the CDC can, in an emergency, a medical emergency, and I think COVID qualifies as that, can skip temporarily the notice and comment period. That's number one. So he misrepresented that. The second part um, is that the justifications for the mask order are very real. Not just all public transportation, but especially airplanes. You're in a metal tube. When you're in the air, there is no opportunity for fresh air. The same air is going to be recirculated. Period. <coughs> Excuse me. This is not COVID. This is asthma. And Mr. Hathaway knows these things. So, once again, um, you can look this up yourself. The case is Health Freedom Defense Fund, Inc., Incorporated, et al., versus Joseph R. Biden, et al., case number 8, colon, 21, uh, hyphen CV hyphen 1693. The Health Freedom Defense Fund is a 501c nonprofit that, you know, again, benefited from Citizens United. And um, it's pure, I'm going to say a bad word, bull crap. I wasn't going to say the actual word. Um, and again, the actual plaintiffs were these two Florida women. One is a woman named Anna Carolina Daza, who lives in Pinellas County. She used to travel every year to Columbia to visit family, um, and she gave her trips after COVID came into the U.S. Um, and basically, <clears throat> they claim Ms. Daza suffers from anxiety, quote, when wearing a mask, feels like she cannot breathe, and suffers from an overwhelming urge to remove the mask. She also gets headaches and suffers shortness of breath while wearing a mask, end quote. Okay, speaking of somebody who is an actual asthmatic, who has COPD, never smoked, but I have chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, if it's warm out and I'm wearing a mask, yes, it is a bit harder for me to breathe. But um, it's not that hideous. Okay, so I'm, and as for her anxiety, well, I can emphasize, it's called Get a short-term anti-anxiety drug. You don't need to risk yourself and others and infect others. It's really that simple. These are people that don't want to comply with rules, all right, and so they want an exception. The other woman is Sarah Pope from Hillsborough County. Um, she, had, she decided to forego 
joining her family on a trip to Hawaii because she thought wearing a mask gave her anxiety. She thinks she's going to have a panic attack, yada, yada, yada. Again, take a freaking trank, lady. I know that sounds really kind of cold, but when it's a choice between your sensitivity to not wear a mask and not take an anti-anxiety med, at least short term, or a trank for that, for that trip, versus somebody else who's immunocompromised, their right to not get a death sentence, as COVID is for so many immunocompromised people, wear the goddamn mask. This is just ludicrous. So, you know, while I can sympathize with these two women who suffer from alleged anxiety, again, their mental health issues could have been dealt with by using a short-term tranquilizer or anxiety med for the flight. They didn't have to challenge the mask mandate because rescinding this mandate places other medically disabled people in jeopardy. It can literally transmit a death sentence to us. And I think that you know, while mental health issues are real, I would say the right to not be infected with a disease, which could be a death sentence to many immunocompromised persons, should have prevailed. Okay? Talk about snowflakes. I know. That was uncalled for. I apologize. But I've also been pretty much homebound for two years now, and I'm tired of it. Okay? Because my COPD symptoms can look a lot like COVID. And I didn't want to freak out every time I cough, which is frequently. Okay, so now we're going to go to our next story. All righty. So this next story involves these two state senators in Michigan. So we have Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow, who is the Democrat, who was slandered and libeled. And, oh, excuse me. Um, the woman who did this to her, I'm looking for a name, is a Senator Lana Tice. I guess I'm pronouncing her name right. So right now uh, I'm going to take a little break, and I will be right back with the story. senators in Michigan. The um, Republican is a, I think, Senator Lana Tice, and she essentially um, called a Democratic senator a groomer. 
as I said at the beginning of the show, a groomer is somebody who basically entraps young children so pedophiles can rape them. Um, it is a serious accusation. It is, if you don't have any proof of those statements, it does constitute slander, libel, and defamation. If, Ms. Ty, if Senator Tice made the mistake of filing a police report, then it's filing a false police report, and that's a felony. And the person that she chose to slander and libel and defame is State Senator, Democratic State, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow. This is the woman who got up, she made her speech of rebuttal. It was beautiful to watch. Now, for those of you <coughs> who want to assume that, well, McMorrow must have been a, a woke, young black woman, nah, wrong. Mallory McMorrow explained herself, and you can see in the picture, she's a white woman, middle-aged, mom, Christian, but she used her white Christian privilege to do a good thing. So and this is part of a series that's going to expose the nonstop lies that come from the fascist far right, which I call the GOP of Trump. You know, that the monster of Mar-a-Lago. By the way, Donald, no normal people refer to themselves with the article the in front of their name, the Donald, okay? They just don't. And as for that comb over, dude, admit your bald. Get rid of that last shank of hope. Anyway, let's move on with the story. So there was a uh, – Mallory Morrow uh, spoke with John Yang, a journalist with National Public Radio, and she gave this powerful speech, okay? So this is – this began last week. Michigan State Senator Lana Tice, who's a Republican, was giving this opening invocation, you know, in session. And she claimed that children are under attack. Three Democrats walked out of the chamber, and one of them was Mallory McMorrow. Then on Monday, Lana Tice sent out a fundraising email, and she included in that fundraising email false allegations that McMorrow, quote, wants to groom and sexualize kindergartners. Tice, quote, also attacked for, excuse me, Quote, Tice also attacked her for what Tice called her race-based education, end quote. So the next day, McMorrow came back, and she, she issued a rebuttal, and McMorrow said the following, quote, so who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolutely not. I'm going to read that again. It's a long statement. Mallory Morrow said the following, quote, So who am I? I'm a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense, end quote. She goes on to say, quote, I want every child in the state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian, end quote. Perfectly reasonable to me. The video went viral. It just did. 
So Senator McMorrow, Melvin McMorrow, joined John Yang in her home in suburban Detroit. Um, so Yang asked her, you know, he wanted to break down a couple things that she said in the speech, uh, including the fact that McMorrow said she represented the biggest threat to the hollow, hateful scheme of Republicans. Um, help us understand that Republicans are carrying out. Help us understand what you mean. So McMorrow said the following, quote, so these attacks we have seen about grooming and or marginalization, they impact the LGBTQ community, the black community. It is really targeting marginalized groups, marginalized people. And what I meant when I said I am the biggest threat is I am not a member of a marginalized community. I am a straight, white, married, Christian, suburban mom. And if more people like me who are not in a minority group, who are not under attack, stand up and call it out as hateful, hollow nonsense, then we take away its power, end quote. And all I can say to Mallory McMorrow is, God bless you. God bless you, Mallory McMorrow. She used her white Christian privilege to call out what can only be called for what it is, racism, religious bigotry, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia. You can go down the list. It's ugly bigotry. These are the same groups, by the way, that the same groups that the GOP of Trump is attacking are the same groups that the Nazis attacked. Read a little history, Ms. Tice. So then John Yang asked her another question. He said, could you talk a bit about how you decided to respond and why you did it this way? So McMorrow responded, quote, this is Mallory McMorrow, quote, so I really, I sat on it for, for a day. I read about the fundraising email in the morning and then really took the day to put all of my thoughts together. And initially I was just disgusted. And you want to kind of hit back in the moment, but I just thought about if I felt as horrible as I did on Monday, how much worse it must feel every single day if you are the parent of a trans child, if you are a member of the gay community who gets called a pedophile or a groomer every single day. And I realized that we do, we have to do a lot more, end quote. And she's right. Make no mistake about it. When they call, when, when, the, when Trumpers, when they call somebody a groomer, this is the justification for a lynch mob. Make no mistake about it. This is no different than when the Ku Klux Klan went roaring past and called out every black man as a rapist. It was a lie. It was a lie that resulted in real-life lynchings. And for those of you who don't understand, lynching isn't just beating somebody up. These were lynchings where these white folks, these bigots, these racists, they murdered somebody in plain sight of the authorities. That's what a lynching was. While they had picnics right there. Okay. So John Yang asked her another question. He said, why do you think the Republicans are doing this kind of stuff? And why do you think they're singling you out? And Mallory McMorrow answered, quote, it is, it's pulling this language from QAnon conspiracy started in the darkest corners of the internet. This idea that government is run by a Satanist cabal of pedophiles. And we saw what happens when a gunman opened fire at a pizza parlor in DC 
believing that there were pedophiles there trapping children in the basement based on this lie. End quote. And so you see that, that, that these words have real life, you know, consequences. McMorrow went on to say, quote, but now this conspiracy is being pulled out in the open and is being used by one of our country's two major political parties as the official policy, the official attack, and we have to stop it. So why me specifically is, yes, I'm one of the people who walked out of the speech, but also I'm not particularly shy about expressing my opinions about these things. I host a live stream every week, and I talk about why I walked out of the invocation. So I think it was a signal to anyone like me who dares to stand up with a marginalized community that we're going to paint you as one of them. You're no longer one of us. You are one of them. You are something dark and dirty and evil, and we have to take our identities back, end quote. And I want to emphasize Right now, it's people of color, also the LGBTQ community. This is no different as official policy, as the politically accepted response than what the Third Reich did when they blamed everything on Jews, which led to a massive genocide. And unlike Ms. Tice, yes, I'm an actual Jew. I can say this. So this is... You know, this is something that has to stop. All right? It just does. Personally, I hope that Mallory McMorrow, Lana Tice, for slander, libel, and defamation, it takes everything that witch has. I didn't say the B word. I wanted to say takes everything that bitch says, but I said witch is, oh, there I went. My bad. All righty. You get the drift here. And this is what we're dealing with now. Um, and apparently this went on, okay? Um, this, John Yang asked her, you know, are you concerned being singled out? Or are you concerned for your safety? Mallory Morrow said, quote, you have to be. And I think that was one of the most hurtful things about the email that went out about me is clearly there was no thought from Senator Tice as to what the consequences might be. And that was really scary for my friends and my family, end quote. I, again, I don't know the mind of Senator Tice, Lana Tice. I think that Mallory McMorrow is being a little too generous. I think the Lana Tice and the GOP of Trump know exactly what they're doing. They're hoping somebody comes and attacks their enemies. That's what people that incite violence do. Again, my opinion. Um, and Yang asked, you know, he said, you've got a lot of attention for your pushback. Um, Yang said that Senator Tice tweeted the following, quote, while Senator McMorrow is on MSNBC preaching to her choir, I will keep my focus on Michigan parents who Democrats are seeking to undermine as their primary decision makers in the education of their children, end quote. Okay. There's so many wrong statements with what Lana Tice had to say. It's, it's mind-boggling. First of all, while parents do can decide what, what they're going to expose their children to within reason. Individual parents don't have the right to dictate to others. Public schools are just that, for the public. If you want something that is going to um, basically, basically censor points of view you don't like, you don't believe in, then you need to send your kid to a private school or a parochial school. Public schools are for everybody, which means there's compromise. 
And no, individual parents do not have the right to dictate policy. That's just not true. Okay, and I know because they taught for 30 years, so enough's enough. I, I wish we had someone like Mallory McMorrow here in my home state of Missouri. You know, we did for a while, and then she went on to Congress, and it's Cori Bush, but at the state level, we don't have anybody like that right now. Wish we did, but we don't. Okay, so now that brings us to our final story. And this is about some more lies coming from the GOP of Trump. Uh, apparently, there is this, um, oh, Lord, how do I put this? And this story is from the, the um, Pointer Institute, and it's written by Tom Jones. There is a Washington Post reporter named Taylor Lorenz. And she reported on the woman behind this really controversial Twitter account that's been called the, quote, Libs of TikTok. Now, Lorenz's story ran in the Washington Post. The headline reads, quote, meet the woman behind Libs of TikTok, secretly fueling the rights outrage machine. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. So, Lorenz described it as the following. That the woman behind this account, Libs of TikTok, quote, repost a steady stream of TikTok videos and social media posts, primarily from LGBTQ plus people, often including incendiary framing designed to generate outrage. Videos shared from the account quickly find their way to the most influential names in right-wing media. The account has emerged as a powerful voice on the internet, shaping right-wing media, <coughs> excuse me, impacting anti- LGBTQ plus legislation and influencing millions by posting viral videos aimed at inciting outrage among the right, end quote. So, Lorenz, among other things, she tried contacting this woman who has since been identified as a woman named Kaya Rychek. Now, Rychek wasn't answering, like, apparently any phone calls, emails, any ways that, you know, Journalists try and verify things because, you know, one of the theories according to this article is that there could be two Chaya Rychecks in the neighborhood, one doing this, posting this slander and libel, and the other one being totally innocent, and you don't, you want to get it right. So, and this is such that it got picked up and immortalized, if you will, by the moron known as Joe Rogan. So, what happened was, since, she, since Lorenz, the journalist, couldn't get any answer, she found the woman's address, what she thought was the woman's address, and knocked on the woman's door. Newsflash! This is what report what journalists are supposed to do. Okay, she didn't harass the woman, she just knocked on her door. So, apparently, the lives of TikTok account tweeted, and this is according to Twitter, this photo of Lorenz standing outside the door, and asked, quote, which of my relatives do you enjoy harassing the most at their homes yesterday? Um, so that was apparently Rychek doing that. Um, again, knocking on doors. All she, Taylor Renz, was doing was trying to find out, trying to get a response from Rychek, the, the person behind lives with TikTok. That's all. Um, and Lorenz found out who was behind the account, and it's this woman named Kaya Rychek. She, oops, 
What happened here? Oh, something weird just happened. I'm still on. Okay, has it heard this weird, weird thing online? Hopefully, it's still running. So, um, she tried. As I said before, she tried to contact Right Check by phone. Didn't work. She knocked on her door. Um, and again, she was making sure she had the right, right, higher right check. That's all. And she was also giving right check a chance to offer her side of the story to get a quote. Um, so anyway, here's what happened. Um, you know, again, this has gotten to the point where now the, the journalist, Lorenz, has been hounded by Joe Rogan's mafia, okay? Joe Rogan loves lives of TikTok. It went out to his mostly male audience, and you may as well just call it the online mafia because that's what they are. Now, <clears throat> they claimed that Lorenz was somehow ambushing Rychak, you know, and, and that's not, the, you know, the, <clears throat> the, the instance, okay? So, what, Bright, what um, Lorenz did was fine. You know, in fact, Ben Collins was quoted, who's a senior reporter at NBC News, and tweeted this observation, quote, say there are two women with the same name, very specific name. They live in the same exact neighborhood. One is a TikTok influencer, nice, fa- nice family, cute kids, loves a good handbag. One runs an anti-LGBT TikTok aggregator. She's a regular on Tucker Carlson, but never shows her face. And apparently that's where Rychek does. Finding out which one's which, that's journalism 101. That's all it is. Um, but once again, <clears throat> excuse me, folks. <clears throat> Joe Rogan put it out there, made it more infamous, and his mafia listeners just went off. And then, you know, there's this, this whole, and this was from the Pointer Institute, this article. You know, and the headlines digging into the Taylor Lawrence controversy that should not be a controversy at all. Okay. Again, they're talking about an ambush. Well, let's talk about ambush. First of all, what Taylor Lawrence did wasn't an ambush. It was just trying to contact someone for to get them to get a quote. Nothing more. Let's look at how the far right, the GOP of Trump, the morons at Fox and Tucker Carlson they, and OA and all this. They love ambushing people they don't approve of. And let's talk about Fox's own ambush king, someone who never follows any journalistic ethical code, Jesse Waters, the king of the virtual lynch mob. And, and, you know, once again, he has, you know, told audience, kill, to use the words like kill shot, deadly, ambush, in reference to Dr. Fauci. Jesse Waters, you know, is one of those people, he ambushes, I've seen videos where he is literally accusing somebody of wrongdoing and harassing them, putting a microphone in their face on the street. Okay? And he knows better. All right? But Waters, you know, he's been around for a while. He was a producer for Bill O'Reilly. You know, he knows better. All right? He's He's a regular on Fox, and here's some of the things that Waters has said as he ambushes people. Again, something Taylor Lorenz did not do. Quote, you have the good. You have the good because he's been able to dodge and weave on the ABC and NBC. No one's ever hit him in the face like this, not even 
U.S. Senator Rand Paul has been able to get in his face and point with a grant in his face. Then he's in trouble. Now you go in for the kill shot. Okay, talk about inciting violence. Quote, the kill shot with an ambush, deadly because he doesn't see it coming. This is when you say, Dr. Fauci, you funded risky research at a floppy Chinese lab, the same lab that sprung this pandemic on the world. You know why people don't trust you, don't you? Boom, he is dead, he is dead, he is done. Okay? And Waters goes on, went on to say, now you know how, now how you do that. 30 seconds, that's all you need, 30 seconds. Now you get that footage to us, you get it to Fox, you get it to Human Events, you get it to Breitbart, you get it to Daily Caller, you get it to the Turning Point Pipeline. Imagine Tucker Carlson teases out for the A Block, quote, coming up, brave college student confronts Lord Fauci at dinner, exclusive footage right back, get us that, that's what we, that's what we want, that changes the whole conversation of the country. I've authorized it, just make sure it's legal, end quote. Not only does Jesse Waters ambush people, the very thing the right accuses Taylor Lorenz of doing, which he didn't do, but Jesse Waters is inciting them to extreme violence. You know, go ahead, attack. Just make sure it's legal. If you happen to kill Dr. Fauci in the process, apparently Jesse Waters is fine with that. Again, I'm pointing out the hypocrisy because, let's be honest here, the people of the far right do not care about truth. They do not care that they're being hypocritical. If you ever tried to talk to an avid Trumper and you calmly face them with facts that they don't like hearing, you know what you get more often than not? Yeah, but. Well, what about Elon Omar? Okay. There's a name for that type of logical fallacy. It's called the two cook. All right? It's basically offering another excuse to derail the argument, but it's not legitimate. Okay? And, you know, Dr. Fauci has been a favorite, you know, uh, target to Jesse Waters as he ambushes. And by Fox, okay? You know, um, other attacks, according to this article against Fauci, for instance, uh, Fox Nation host Lara Logan likened Fauci to Nazi monster Joseph Mengele. Logan claimed, quote, this is what people say to me, that Fauci doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps, end quote. First of all, uh, my, what I'd like to say to Lara Logan is, as an actual Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, I don't need to listen to a white Christian princess and her life. You know, in fact, Lara Logan also had a decorating show as well. I would encourage people to boycott her. Dare. Some outsider. Someone from the privileged caste. Someone, you know, white, allegedly Christian, blonde, Compare anyone else to a Nazi? I, I, I don't agree with everything Dr. Fauci said or done. That's not the point. If I were Dr. Fauci, I'd be suing these people big time. Fox, uh, Tucker Carlson called Fauci an even shorter version of Benito Mussolini. Fox's Maria Bartiromo and guest Dr. Scott Atlas suggested Fauci is part of a cabal 
of, quote, very powerful people in science who are at the NIH. Atlas added, quote, they control the money, they control the scientific funding, they control the careers of everyone, end quote. Okay, the one who sounds like a Nazi is Dr. Atlas. Okay, Tucker Carlson claimed Fauci created COVID, and it goes on and on and on. And I just, you can read this yourself. Carlson called Fauci a hypocritical buffoon. Um, you know, Ingraham. Now, let's see, I'll go here. Carlson also said Fauci was advocating for national suicide, end quote. And again, this article is titled Kill Shot, Deadly Ambush. Fox host Jesse Waters tells audience to go after Dr. Anthony Fauci. And it was from Media Matters for America, which is a legitimate fact-checking group. And it was written by Eric Kleefeld, who is um, from the Media Matters staff. Okay, so apparently the hypocrisy is, pardon the pun, viral, because the very thing that the far right accused Washington Post real journalist, Caleb Lorenz, of, of ambushing people is the thing that Jesse Waters does all the time. Now let's get to this whole libs on, what is it, libs for TikTok? Libs of TikTok. Um, there was uh, an article written by Ron Campus, uh, published April 22nd, just a few days ago, from the Times of Israel. And they published an article which exposes the libs of TikTok creator Kaya Reichick is an Orthodox Jew. Now, before anybody screams anti-Semitism, I am a Jew. And I am here to say, as a Jew who is a Reformed Jew, <clears throat> where it's more modern, the Orthodox do not speak for all of us. Okay? Just as the Pope doesn't speak for Protestants and um, so on and so forth, the ultra-Orthodox do not speak for all Jews. They might think they do, and a lazy American public that loves to just look at stereotypes and nothing else may want to believe it, but it's not true. They don't speak for us. Okay, so apparently, um, you know, Rychek's been running this anti-LGBTQ account and calling her out is somehow, and apparently Rychek's been responsible for getting teachers who discuss um, the issues in the classroom fired, okay? Rychek helped pioneer the term grooming to describe teaching about sexuality. Now, keep in mind, in elementary school, some of the things these people are complaining about, including the jerk-off governor, Death Santis. It's like what Pete Buttigieg said. He and his husband have two children, and they're in elementary school, and if they come to school on Monday and the teacher says, so what did you guys do on your weekend? These children have a right to say, well, my dad took me to the zoo without being censored by the teacher, and that's what this don't say gay law is about those children would, would be just silenced. Like their experience of having two dads isn't a real family. This is not about teaching sexuality to young children, okay, at all. But Rychek ran with it, and she, you know, she slandered and libeled and defamed a lot of people. And she is an Orthodox Jew, and she's, uh, let's see now. Let me go through here. This, again, this is the Times of Israel. Um, 
Rychek also claims she's she's um, in other Twitter accounts she's embraced Donald Trump in his lies about the 2020 presidential election. According to this quote, she according to Twitter she claimed to be present during the January 6, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol staged by Trump supporters. Okay, and there are Orthodox Jews that back Trump because quote he backs Israel. Whether you are pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli is not the issue here. The issue is, even if you're pro-Israel, do you want to buy or purchase that win by going along with demonizing and attacking other marginalized groups? I, for one, do not. Okay? And so, as I said before, the Orthodox community does not speak for the majority of American Jews. Like the majority of American Jews aren't Orthodox at all. Um, so this is what we're dealing with here. And, uh, you know, I looked at this, and it's such nonsense, all right? Um, again, to me, if Haya Rychek claims that anyone who criticizes her is anti-Semitic, what a... What pure nonsense, okay? I'm Jewish. I'm calling her out. The issue here isn't, and let's go a little more global. The issue here isn't any specific religion or religion itself. The issue here is religious fundamentalism. And this is the same fundamentalism which frames all and attacks all issues of truth around this end justifies the means mentality. And religious fundamentalists come in all faiths, and they're also atheist fundamentalists who basically, again, ends justify the means. They don't, and they tend to, both groups, fundamentalist period, tend to have this, um, you know, all or nothing attitude. They can't, it's either black or white. It's a total binary to fundamentalists. There, is, there are no areas of gray. And these fundamentalists need to realize that, yes, the truth matters. And now as a Jew myself, I, I take extreme accept, exception to Reichick's bigoted and libelous views. To criticize her is not anti-Semitism. To expose Reichick's libelous lies is consistent with the foundation of Judaism. It's dating all the way back to the law given to us at Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Reichick needs to stop wasting time on the dictates of an ultra-Orthodox rabbi regarding such vapid subjects as modest clothing or who sleeps with whom, as long as they're consenting adults. And consider what clothes her soul. And I would refer Haya Rychek and a lot of Orthodox Jews to the ninth commandment given to us at Sinai. It simply says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And with that I say, bye Felicia. Alrighty. So this is our three, these are our three stories today. And now we get to our Jackass of the Week report. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. The longer the show gets, the worse my voice gets. Little tea. And there were so many jackasses to pick from. Honestly, I, I just, I had a hard time picking them. I, I truly did. And I thought, and I thought, and I thought. And honestly, 
I decided that the dubious honor of Jackass of the Week goes to, drumroll please, Michigan State Senator Atlanta Tice, who basically seems to have never met a lie that she didn't embrace. That's my opinion, and I'm going by it. To accuse somebody of grooming to assist a pedophile is not only vile, it's just downright evil on her part. This is no different than the Nazis accusing Jews of doing the same. None. And what makes it even worse is that Lana Tice was enraged that a fellow white Christian woman stood up to her. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. There is nothing meaner than a bigot who is basically, who, when somebody stands up to them, especially when it comes from their own perceived class or caste. So the jackass of the, of the week goes to Michigan State Senator Lana Tice. And I, I, I hate to say this, but our jackass of the week award really doesn't come with anything other than this verbal acknowledgement. Um, I have thought of, I don't know, creating some sort of little letter or something to send to our honorees, and we will look into that at a future date. Um, with that, that is our Sunday show. I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, if you want to look at more things, uh, my other show is the Environmental Justice Report, and it airs on Thursday. But all our shows are archived, so you can access them at any time. And this week, we will prob- uh, we didn't have a show the last couple of weeks, but we're probably going to do a show on the environmental devastation in Bangladesh. Um, I'm going to appear on a show with a young man who runs a very simple non-for-profit in Bangladesh called the Glory Futures Foundation. And um, they're just trying to see to it that children don't die from malnutrition and starvation because Western Western companies, mining interests and such, have so polluted the area that what used to be the most fertile land in the world is now the most polluted. And so um, we will be talking about that. And uh, with that, I say um, good day and God bless us because Lord knows we're certainly going to need it. See you next week.